Welcome to Life on the Other Side, stories from prisoners, their families, and those helping them find justice and redemption with Alec Klein. This podcast is sponsored by Republic Book Publishers, which brings you books tackling the important issues of the day and the new book Aftermath, When It Felt Like Life Was Over by Alec Klein. For more information, please check out republicbookpublishers.com. This is part two of the podcast with Lynn Christofferson, whose ex-husband, Dave Woodward, was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison before he was later released on probation. In 2015, not many people went to the parole board hearing. Hardly at all. Many times I was the only one in the room, and I was staying all three days. (laughs) And I remember the chairman coming up to me, Vanessa Price, you know, when, when I stayed past the business meeting, she came and sat down with me and wanted to kind of find out, who are you? <laughs> but I, so as I continued doing that month after month, I remember people saying, so what are you doing? And I said, I'm reforming the pardon and parole process. Literally. And by the way, did you have the three ring binder at this point that you brought with you? Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. It's an impressive uh, set of documents. <laughs> I, uh, well, they have an agenda, and then they have the various parole dockets, commutation dockets. And I'm a data person. Um, I believe that if you can see, I was looking for patterns. I was looking for patterns. And so I would document the vote, and I'd pay attention to who voted first and in what order they voted and and, and just finding out how they review the material. I have spreadsheets. I have spreadsheets looking for, again, looking for patterns, you know, what, how best to present the material, how best to get a face on Dave in front of the board. You know, little do people realize how valuable that can be. Although I have to say, uh, I would assume the pattern for the most part back then, and we're talking about just a few years ago, was essentially no, no, and no, uh, yeah. for the most part. So, <laughs> you know, because I sat in that same uh, that same room as you have. But so, how did you how did you actually make progress, Lynn? What was the secret to to breaking open a case that, on paper, I mean, let's face it, my recollection, having reviewed uh, some of the records, is that. You know, this was like hand-to-hand combat. I mean, you know, and yeah. led to, I mean, we, we don't have to go into the grisly details, but it was quite yeah. up close and personal. This is not like other cases that I've reviewed where the uh, crime occurs from some distance, you know, with a gun, perhaps. I mean, this was literally uh, death, you know, in close quarters uh, involving, yeah. I think, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, rope and, and, and a knife, right? Yeah. Other things. Yeah. So, yeah. but but Lynn, how did you? How in the world did you make progress here? Did tell us what you did to to open these prison gates? Well, uh, Dave's first parole hearing in 2012. There was a lot of focus on the details of the crime, which disconcerted him because he wasn't prepared to retry the case. Right. And and it was disturbing. Not disturbing. It was discouraging for me to hear. Um, and so when, after 2015, the board did change a little bit in their focus, but it occurred to me, again, how to help the board be Dave the human, mm. not, not, not the 
distant individual who con- who did this horrible crime. But how see Davis human and think in terms of it is a job application process in a way, you know. And so um, things like you know and paying attention to the questions they were interested in. Can he support himself? What has he done um, to be as current as he can with how things work out in the world? And so, you know, just little things I think that make a make a difference. Like on the front page of the packet was a picture of him at his workstation, at his computer workstation. Again, thinking details are important. I think showing that he knows how to work a computer, or at least that's what the picture says. Interesting. So pictures tell a thousand stories. Pictures tell a thousand stories. The other thing was, you know, how are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to pay your deposit for your apartment if needed? He'd worked very diligently at at saving money. And so he had a page, the last page of his inmate bank statement that showed how much money he had in his account. Um, It sounds to me like you were both practical because you were trying to show that if he was uh, granted parole that he mm-hmm. could be a viable member of society with a job and and with a plan. But it sounds like you were also humanizing him so that they could understand yeah. that he was just an, a, a, a person who deserved a second chance. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and another piece that I did was because the DA had protested mightily the first time he appeared, actually showed up in person. Um, part of attending the parole board hearings when I started was I discovered, oh, I know I when know. the DAs are going to do their protests and I can be present. And part of my plan was the next time Dave came up for a parole hearing, I was going to be present on that Monday afternoon so I could hear and see what the DA was saying. But wow. it occurred to me, part of my planning was that the big hurdle, like you said, is that first jacket review. Mm. And DAs, you know, that's the hurdle. And so I actually contacted the district attorney's office. Um, I, I, he, I found out he was going to be appearing at the Pardon and Parole Board, and I, I just stopped him briefly, said I'd like to visit with him about an individual coming up for parole. Um, and he was going to listen then, and I said, you're a busy man, May I send information to you? So I sent the parole packet, and my ask of the DA was, would you write a letter of support for parole or at least write a letter saying you didn't you didn't oppose parole mm-hmm. and do it by stage, by the jacket review stage? Um, I followed up one time, but I didn't follow up afterward. This this particular DA can get kind of testy. <laughs> I just didn't want to push it. And all I know is that there was no protest. There was no wow. written or verbal protest. That's remarkable. I mean, you know, as you know, uh, prosecutors uh, often, not always, but often want to preserve their convictions, uh, the hard-won yes. convictions, and for for that for this prosecutor to not stand in the way of Dave regaining his freedom. That's remarkable. What do you think was the uh, the key to uh, persuading the, the DA to sort of stand down? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, the prosecuting attorney in Dave's case was Bob Macy. 
who mm. has a checkered past at best. Um, I don't know if that played into it. Um, maybe he looked, you know, I sent him the parole packet. Maybe he looked at the parole packet and said he was thought he was good with that. Yeah. One thing, I, I don't know. <laughs> one thing that strikes me about your journey and your sort of Hail Mary uh, attempt to get Dave out of prison is that in a, in a sense it feels almost like a love story that you were so devoted to his case and to his freedom. Uh, I mean, it was, um, it, you know, to what extent was what you were doing a matter of your your love for, for Dave and wanting uh, him to have a life again? Oh, that was a huge piece of it. That was a huge piece of it because regardless of what happened to our marriage, he still was the person that I knew and, and will always love. <clears throat> you know, there, you can love someone and, and recognize, you know what, we can't be together. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, my, my Christian belief comes into that too. Well, I wanted yeah. to ask you, it's funny that you mentioned that, um, but it's, it feels like it's right there, this, the issue of faith. I mean, from the beginning, in a sense, you know, you, you were a deacon as you described it, but even more than that, it, it requires a certain level of faith to do what you did, to get married, to fight for his freedom, to, you know, talk to us about your faith and how that played a role in all of this. Oh. <sighs> wow. Um you know, kind of on a on a psychological level for me, um, my view of the world is nothing's impossible. It just may take a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> and my 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 faith tells me that I used to think I was very 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 bright at figuring out how things were going to play out, what was going to happen, coming up with a solution, how to make it happen. Um, but I have long since learned that, you know what, somebody else can do much better than I can at that, mm. God. Um, and so I don't want to limit the possibility by telling God, well, this can't happen, you know. I And, and the biblical story that, that weaves throughout my experience, this whole experience is, the story of the importuning widow before the judge. Mm. You know, you just keep asking. And and for Dave and I, it was it was because he tends towards pessimism, and I tend towards optimism, as you've probably figured <laughs> that part out. <laughs> and and you know, as things were unfolding this last time, he would ask he would ask me. He says I people around here are all telling me, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. This guy's in prison, and he would he would say to me, he said, what do you really think is going to happen? Is this going to happen? And I said, it sure feels like it. I really do. I believe it will happen. We just have to do the next step, you know? And What was that? The oh, just step. the next step each, each, each time along the way when, 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 uh, he called me, he started calling me before the board meeting was, uh, his jacket review vote didn't happen till like 4 o'clock in the a Monday afternoon. 
So you, having been to these meetings, know how exhausting that is. Right. Um, and so he started calling me about three. And anyway, so we, I was heading out, headed back to Tulsa, and he called, and and he had heard. Oh no, no, no! This, that was for the personal hearing. Um, this was when I told him that he got four yes votes for the jacket review. He was just dumbfounded, and that's when he began, do you really think this is going to happen? I said, it sure looks that way. Now, what but year my, was this? Uh, this, um, this was the, oh, gee. Um, he got, okay, he's been out a year, to 2018. So, so he gets through that crucible of the first stage, and then oh. he, he manages to get through the second stage, the personal appearance stage as well, right? Right. And, and of course, a piece of this, too, is that his his personal appearance was in December, in early December, and he's also got an interstate compact that's got to be worked out, and the governor won't sign that, his parole certificate, if if the governor agrees until that compact is in place and and the season, and then we've got a new governor coming on board. Mm. And so Dave's thinking, well, Fallon is the one who's going to say yes. Whoever the new governor is might not say yes. And so he was very, very concerned about that. Certificate didn't get signed until March the 8th, I believe it was. By which governor? By uh, By Governor Stitt. We had no feel for his, his attitude. Right, on paroles. Right. Although and, he campaigned to a degree on criminal justice reform. He uh, did, yeah. But, who, but you never quite know until they're actually in office, I suppose. And they tend to be a little skittish at first, you know, a little conservative, because it's an incredible process, as you know. Right, it's, right. So at what point, Lynn, did the governor sign that piece of paper that finally gave gave his freedom? Um. Like I said, it was March the 8th, I believe. Of 2018. And then of 2018. No, 2019. Right. So it's only, been, it's only been a little more than a year, right? Yes, yes. I mean, yes. so what, what was your reaction and what was Dave's reaction to the, this kind of unbelievable situation where he actually got his freedom. <laughs> Going from life without parole to having the governor signing a piece of paper saying you are free. It was it was pretty it was pretty amazing. It was exhilarating. It was uh, a lot of pinching ourselves all the time. Um when I went I went to pick him up, you know, and and at the even at the very end it was because there's so much the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you leave a facility, you have to, you know, it's kind of like leaving high school. You know, you have to make sure all your library books are turned in. You have to clear this office and that office. And that Monday morning, he was trying to do that, and he goes down to records. And they're saying, no, no, we have to get the governor's certificate. And, and Dave fortunately had the copy of the signed parole certificate that I had mailed in to him the week before to say, mm-hmm. you mean this signature? And they were like, 
oh no, oh no, and and they had to really rush to get him out before this the effective day. Hmm. So tell us about that moment when you picked him up <laughs> at prison. I mean, what, I've, I've seen, I've experienced that moment when I when a, an inmate has been set free before their sentence is up. It's a bit of a surreal experience. But what was it like for for you and for Dave in that moment? Can you bring us to that moment? Yes, yes. Well, it was. There was the sally port with glass walls between us. He's in the visiting room with his, with a dolly with all his stuff piled on top of it. He's waiting for his debit card with his earnings on it and saying some of the other guys were there saying goodbye to him and, and the, the, the one inmate who actually was the law clerk that got him his, um, his post-conviction relief. Mm. You know, there's tears in their eyes and, and yeah. um and and I'm waiting, waiting and and I remember driving out so we get all his stuff loaded. He had to stop and go back in and come back out to the Sally Port so the warden could take a picture of this event because mm. it was so momentous for him. Um and I remember driving off of the grounds with Dave in the passenger side of the front of the car. I just kept looking at him going, I can't hardly, I can't, I can't believe this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he would say, would you please keep your eyes on the road? <laughs> he wanted to make his freedom last for a while, is what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> last for a while. And, uh, Beyond and, the car ride. Yeah. And, uh, and, and th- that first day was such a blur because there were people in Norman that he wanted to, we had breakfast with the priest that married us and and um um and then checked in with with um a good good friend who was actually the guy who walked me down the aisle as it were um and we went <laughs> we went um he needed a phone you know and so we're thinking just a little go to Walmart get some kind of burner phone and i am not uh, a technocrat by any stretch of the imagination. So we go into the Walmart store, and this guy as tall as day with a ponytail. Um, we go to the electronics part, and I'm looking at all these options, and I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know how to tell this guy. <laughs> you know, so, right. so we ask the, the, the clerk, a middle-aged gentleman, you know, here's the deal. You know, can you help us? And he starts rattling off all this stuff. And Dave says, okay, let me give you a hint. Pretend like I've been in prison for 26 years. <laughs> what would you suggest? And the guy kind of looked at him, ha, ha, ha. And Dave looked at him and said, no, really. <laughs> As he hitches up his baggy sweatpants. Uh, now, it's been uh, a little over a year since uh, Dave got out. Uh, tell us about what it's been like in the life after. Uh, well, he's he's doing well. It's been, it's not, again, it's not been what I expected. Um, we, for the first month, we anticipated he lives in Maine. Um, you know, we were older people. We would figure out this marriage thing. Um, we'd take it one day at a time and figure it out. And 
see what's what. Um, and that's and the what what for us is that Dave's in Maine and I'm down here and 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 we talk. And I certainly wish him well, um, but we're not married. Um, that's just not, there, there's a sadness there, but it's it's wonderful hearing what's happening with him. And I did have the chance to meet his family. So these people that I had been emailing and writing to and offering encouragement and 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 suggesting, you know, letters to write, um, I've gotten to meet them. Um, and so I know Dave in a much fuller way now. Yeah. Um, and we have <laughs> wonderful, funny stories about our trip, our drive from Oklahoma to Maine um, in March. <laughs> and, um, someone who had been in prison for 26 years navigating the East Coast in New York City. <laughs> I mean, we have priceless stories along the way. Um, That's its own crucible. Yeah. So when did uh, the marriage end? Well, when he when he went when we went through the process of him getting his post conviction relief, that was tortuous. Um, that's when when we discovered the bumps in our relationship. Communication is just a you know, yeah, isn't that usually where it's at? Right. Um, and that's when we got formally divorced, and then we're able to reconcile um, and be in touch with each other. And and Dave finally believing that I want him out, you know. And my recognition that the best chance we had of of, of reconciling was for him to be out. So basically, he's out. And what, what kind of what's he doing these days? Well, his family has a, a redemption bottle center. Maine's one of these wonderful states that you have to put a deposit when you buy any beverage in a container, and in order to get it back, you have to return those containers to a redemption center, and mm. you get that deposit back. And then the redemption center gets paid a fee for processing the stuff by the state. Wait, I've got to stop you here, Lynn. Are you telling me Dave is in the redemption business? Yes, he is. His wow. family business is the Empty Bottle Redemption Center. Mm. That's yeah. amazing. Think about it. You know, Dave, <laughs> Dave received his, his own redemption. Uh, yeah. And um, what about for you? I mean, your marriage really spanned much of the time that he was actually in prison. But for you, uh, how do you view this whole experience now that uh, it's over? Well, it's it's over and it's not because I know the first time after I got back from from my second visit to Maine in June, I went to a pardon and parole board hearing. Of course, everybody expected me to move up to Maine, and and I knew that would be problematic because I have parents and I have grown children and grandchildren here, you know, and Dave's family is up there. That was part of the working out, but. This experience has been very particular in the, in this one person, but also there's been a global sense to it. And so when I go back to a pardon and parole board meeting after Dave's gotten to Maine, people are surprised to see me there. <laughs> and I'm going, he's not the only one <laughs> that needs to get out of prison. Lynn, Lynn and, I was about to say, do you still have the binder? I do. I do. So, so the I, binder I forgot lives. To, 
the binder lives. Oh, yeah. I don't keep as much data as I used to. But there's a couple of people that I met down in um, at Joseph Harp who um, who have asked me to help in some way, you know, and I still, I'm still working on encouraging families, you know, on helping them learn how to communicate with their legislators and get them there. I got my legislator to come. She was ready to write a... She was ready to take a letter to the governor's office if he turned Dave down. Mm. Um, you know, how I, I'm still trying to help families become engaged in the political aspect of it. How encourage them to get to know their legislators, come to the pardon and parole board meetings, get to know these people, let them see you're paying attention. You know, so another, Lynn, in other words, your journey with Dave was really just the beginning of your journey beyond Dave, which is you're still involved in helping people who are incarcerated. You're trying to, it sounds like, change laws. You're trying to help families get educated about the process. Is that all fair to say? Uh, yeah, yeah. So is there any redemption for you in all of this? Oh, yeah. Um, hmm. A life well lived is is a really rich and good thing. Um, yeah, the redemption is. You know, there's there, there are some people that might look back on my 20 years with Dave, thinking in terms of we were married, and thinking, oh, you wasted 20 years, and I don't feel that. I guess because all of my life, you know. How can my my goal is how can I be used by God? How can I be an mm. agent of grace? Right. You know, and, and and you know Paul talks about one planting the seed and the other watering and and I'm very much aware, you know, again, if you're gonna be in this work, you have to have a multi generational view. If you expect change in your lifetime, you will burn out. Mm. You know, you have to have the long view and recognize that I don't know how this this little action I've got right now is going to play out, but it's going to have an impact, and it's and I have to trust that God can use it. Well, Lynn, this is a beautiful story, and I have to say those twenty years don't sound wasted at all to me. I don't feel uh, wasted. <laughs> no, if anything, it's quite the opposite. I mean, you uh, help Dave. Uh, be restored and you are in the process of restoring others. Uh, what could be greater than that? Um, so I, I really appreciate your sharing all of that with us and uh, thank you so much, Lynn. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the work you do. Well, thank you, Lynn. It's, uh, I, I feel much the same way you do about all of yeah. this, uh, being, being a servant, really. This podcast is sponsored by Republic Book Publishers, which brings you books tackling the important issues of the day and the new book, Aftermath, When It Felt Like Life Was Over by Alec Klein. For more information, please check out republicbookpublishers.com. Thank you for joining us today. Please stay tuned for our next podcast involving stories from prisoners, their families, and those helping them find justice and redemption. And please subscribe to the Life on the Other Side podcast on iTunes.